from Romans 12, 1 through 13. Brothers and sisters, in light of all I have shared with you about God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God, a sacred offering that brings him pleasure. This is your reasonable, essential worship. Do not allow the world to mold you in its own image. Instead, be transformed from inside out by renewing your mind. As a result, you will be able to discern what God's will and whatever God finds a good, pleasing, and complete. Because of the grace allotted to me, I can respectfully tell you not to think of yourselves as being more important than you are. Devote your minds to sound judgment, since God has assigned to each of us a measure of faith. For in the same way that one body has so many different parts, each with a different function, we too, the many, are different that form one body in the anointed one. Each one of us is joined with another that we become together what we cannot be alone. Since our gifts vary depending on the grace poured out on each of us, it is important that we exercise gifts we have been given. If prophecy is your gift, then speak as a prophet according to your proportion of faith. If serve is your gift, then serve well. If teaching is your gift, then teach well. If you have been given a voice of encouragement, then use it often. If giving is your gift, then be generous. If leading, then be eager to get started. If sharing God's mercy, then be cheerful and sharing. Love others well and don't hide behind a mask. Love authentically. Despite evil, preserve what is good if, as if your life depends on it. Live in true devotion to one another. Live in true devotion to one another, loving each other as sisters and brothers. Be first to honor others by putting them first. Do not slack in your faithfulness and hard work. Let your spirit be on fire, bubbling and boiling over as you serve the Lord. Do not forget to rejoice, for hope is always around the corner. Hold up through the hard times that are coming and devote yourselves to prayer. Share what you have with the saints so they lack nothing. Take every opportunity to open your life and home to others. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So thank you, uh, Landon and Jeremy, for reading God's word this morning. We're thinking about this theme of put me in coach, the theme of everybody finding a place of service in the kingdom of God. I want to begin this morning with a quote uh, from uh, Parker Palmer. If you don't know about him, he's a Quaker, and he wrote a book entitled uh, The Courage to Teach. Uh, he's written a lot about life and about relationships. And one of the things he says is, before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen for what it intends to do with you. Before you tell your life what you intend to do with it, listen carefully to see what it is your life intends to do with you. Now, we could paraphrase that and say, before you tell God 
this is what you're going to do with your life. Uh, you need to listen and see what it is that God intends to do with your life. Or we could paraphrase it the way the Apostle Paul did in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 and say, By the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may discern what is that good and perfect will of God. And so... The Apostle Paul was on the track of something very important, as was Parker Palmer, that, that the first thing we do is to present ourselves to God. That's the gift of grace, that God gives us the gift of spiritual transformation. Through Jesus Christ, life can be different. That's the good news message this morning for all of us. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is a gift from God that he transforms our minds, he changes our thought patterns, he, he gives us new want-tos, he gives us new desires. Through the power of Christ, this gift continually transforms our lives. And notice the order. Before the Apostle Paul ever starts talking to us about our place of service in the church, verses 6, 7, and 8 of Romans 12, before he ever talks to us about our place of service, he talks to us about our place on the altar before God, that our lives are to be on that altar daily for God, totally committed to Jesus Christ. And I said last week, and we'll probably say it again through this sermon series, God calls us to himself before God calls us to a job, that God calls us into relationship before God calls us into tasks. Now, then, another way to think about this is that our UC must precede our DC. Our UC is our ultimate commitment. Our DC is our daily commitments. Now that doesn't sound too complex, but we all have a lot of trouble with that. Paul says you start with your UC. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God and let God daily transform your life. Let the power of Christ continually change you. And then you will know what you need to be doing daily. Most of us flip that around. We start with daily commitments. God, what do you want me to do today? Or this is what I have on my to-do list today. We start with our daily commitments, our DCs, and think that somehow through our DCs we will stumble onto our UC. As if in bumbling around in our daily commitments, we will somehow discover something ultimate, something worthwhile to give our lives to. But Paul says you start with your UC, you start with the, big, with the big thing first, and then so many of our daily commitments begin to define themselves because we know what we are ultimately committed to and we know to whom we're ultimately committed, Jesus Christ. So having established that, Paul said, if this gift of a transformed life is indeed a gift, if the gift of a new life in Christ is not earned, then also the talents and energies and abilities we're giving, given to serve him are also gifts. We don't, we don't earn the spiritual gifts we have to preach or sing or teach or encourage or serve or showing mercy. We don't earn those things. We don't 
we don't work those up. Those are gifts from God. And so Paul says in verse 3, I encourage you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In other words, he's saying there's nothing to brag about. It's God's gift. So just receive it and use it. But don't brag about it as if you invented it. And then he goes on and he talks in language of the anatomy about comparing the church to a human body. And he, he begins to, uh, to use this analogy. He uses it also in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 from last Sunday. He says, For as in one body we have many members, fingers, toes, ears, nose, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many, verse 5, are one body in Christ and individually we belong to each other. The human body is a beautiful analogy of how Christ intends for the church to function. All of the body is connected, yet each part of the body has a different task. I have a pastor friend who's a runner, and several years ago he started having trouble with his feet. And, uh, you know, he went various places to doctors checking it out. And finally, a Ph.D. in physical therapy in his church helped him identify the problem. His back was too tense, and this person, this friend said, you have a core problem. It's in the core of your body that you're having a problem. Your back is too tense, and therefore when you run, your feet are affected. Now, isn't it a, a, a miracle of God's creation that we are so interconnected that back problems create feet problems? It's all connected. All of the body needs all of the body's parts. And the other piece of that is that you can't only do those things that hands can do. You need the eyes, you need the feet, you need the heart, you need all the body's organs. And the body is to be healthy and thriving because all body parts are working and some body parts are not overworked while others are neglected. Uh, my uh, five-year-old grandson, Phineas, uh, introduced me to a great book. He likes for me to read it to him. It's entitled, The Day the Crayons Quit, by Drew Daywalt. And it seems that one day, Duncan went to school, and when he went to school that day, uh, he had a stack of letters waiting for him, a stack of letters from all of his crayons. They all wrote him a letter. Now, I know you can't see that from here, but Red was the first letter to write to him and said, Hey, Duncan, it's me, Red Crayon. We need to talk. You made me work harder than any of the other crayons. All year long, I wear myself out coloring fire engines, apples, strawberries, and everything else that's red. I even work on holidays. I have to color all the Santas and all the hearts on Valentine's Day. I need a rest. Your overworked friend, Red Crayon. And then a few pages over, Beige Crayon speaks up, and Beige is offended because he's underworked. And he feels like he gets all the blah jobs. He says, you know, I, I color a turkey, but that's once a year. And he said, I color wheat, but let's be honest, how many kids get excited about coloring wheat? 
and he's very upset, and he's kind of offended. And then get this. Yellow and orange get in an argument about which color truly represents the sun. Sun in the sky should be yellow, one says. Sun in the sky is not yellow, it's orange, the other says. And they bring their argument to Duncan. And poor Duncan doesn't know what to do because he's got overworked crayons, he's got neglected crayons, he's got crayons that are used for the wrong purposes, for things they don't enjoy. And then Duncan has an idea. And he just colors two big pages that are just using all of the colors in the crayon box. And he makes something beautiful. And the book says he got an A in coloring, and he got an A-plus in creativity. Because all of the crayons got used for the purpose for which they were created. Now, even if it's 815 service, you can figure that out, right? You're with me, right? And since you're with me, my question is, would First Baptist Church get an A in creativity? for all of the crayons functioning appropriately and creatively to, to create this rainbow of God's beautiful work in Jefferson City and the world. In 1970, the Baltimore Orioles baseball team had three pitchers on their staff who won 20 or more games that season unheard of in today's baseball culture with relief pitchers and uh, bullpen specialists. Three pitchers on the same team in the same year won 20 games or more. And Jim Palmer was one of those, and uh, he is a sportscaster, and he was being interviewed one time about that, that magical season, and he said, there was just something special. Not only did we get motivated and get sharper and better because of our because of the teams we played. He said each pitcher on the staff encouraged and challenged one another. And he said, we became better because we each made the other better and stronger. And I thought, what a beautiful image of the church and of the body, the body of Christ, as the, the translation, the voice translation that the, that the children read earlier, we each become something we could not become on our own. Each is strengthened by the other. And I thought about that. I'm a better pastor and a better person because of the staff God has placed me in, because of the giftedness of all of our other pastors and our support staff. I'm a better Christian and a better pastor because of the church God has placed me in, because of you, because of the way you challenge me and love me and, and you inspire me. We are better because of one another. When we are each using our spiritual gifts, we're not only doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're actually helping other people be a part of that great work. So one of the truths of Scripture is that Spiritual gifts do not thrive in isolation. Spiritual gifts thrive in constellation. 
Our spiritual gifts are in a constellation, a pattern of arrangement. God has uniquely placed in this congregation the giftedness that is needed, and no gift thrives in isolation. All gifts thrive in constellation as we each find our place and each feed from the other. Well, you've probably noticed up to this point that I haven't said a lot about the specific gifts mentioned by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. There's a reason for that, because I wanted to first of all establish that we first of all crawl up on the altar and commit to Christ in a daily fashion. But I also hesitate to say too much about any of the specific gifts mentioned by Paul in uh, this passage or other passages for fear that people will think those are the only spiritual gifts there are. And they're not. The lists in Scripture that enumerate the spiritual gifts are not exhaustive lists, they are suggestive lists. They're not all there are, they're only some of what there are, and I think the spiritual gifts are probably almost infinite in number and in combinations through unique personalities. But to specifically look at the gifts, the Apostle Paul lists them, and John Stott in one of his Uh, studies on the book of Romans, uh, breaks them out into two categories. He said in Romans uh, 12, 6 through 8, there are speaking gifts, preaching or prophecy, teaching and encouraging or exhortation or counseling. And then there are, besides speaking gifts, there are service gifts, serving or ministering, giving, leading, showing mercy. What I find really amazing is to remember to whom the Apostle Paul addressed this letter. Christians in Rome. Rome, the center of civilization, the center of culture. And Rome was all about top-down authority. Rome was all about being in charge, staying in control. Rome was all about being king of the hill and having people under you do what you say. It was all about force It was all about power. It was all about self. And to the Roman Christians, Paul listed serving before he he listed leading. Isn't that interesting? That before he mentioned leading, administering, being in charge, he lists serving. That shouldn't surprise us because the Nazarene who washed his disciples' feet and gave his life up for sinners is the one who taught us what servant leadership is all about. But you know what? None of those spiritual gifts matter if we don't live them in the proper environment. In fact, without the proper spiritual attitude, those become very self-serving and self-centered. Those are from verses 6 through 8 of Romans 12, but you can never study those without bracketing them on each side. On the left side of the page, you bracket them with verses 1 and 2, a total commitment to Jesus Christ. You can never understand spiritual gifts without a total commitment to Jesus Christ. On the right-hand side of the page, 
those spiritual gifts are bracketed by verses 9 and 10 about loving genuinely, about giving up on hate, about loving one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Do you get that? Total commitment to Christ, total commitment to each other, and in between are the spiritual gifts. The only way our spiritual gifts thrive are when they are bracketed by total commitment to Christ and total commitment to one another. Let me illustrate that. Several months ago, uh, our church hosted for a Wednesday night program Igor Friedrich. Igor is Ukrainian. He's a good friend of mine. He translated for me in Belarus many years ago on some mission trips there. Uh, he has helped us with uh, many projects uh, in, in Belarus and in Ukraine and many other places. Uh, wonderful Christian servant. He now works for an organization committed to evangelizing the children of Eastern Europe. The vision of his organization is we must reach the younger generation for Christ if Eastern Europe is to be evangelized effectively. So he's working in this organization and just in an offhanded way when he was making his presentation to us a few months ago downstairs in the fellowship hall, he said, many of our children's Bible teachers give approximately one-fourth of their monthly income to buy materials and supplies to teach the gospel to children. So I want you to think about that for a moment. You've got people with the teaching gifts, but those teaching gifts would be meaningless unless they were totally committed to Jesus Christ and unless they were totally committed to loving people in the Eastern European countries who need to know about Christ's love. Total commitment to Christ, total commitment to one another. And in that environment, the spiritual gifts thrive. Without that environment, the spiritual gifts shrivel up and die. And by the way, do the math of your own monthly income. I don't care if you consider it meager. I don't, care, I don't care if you consider it extravagant and generous. Do the math of your monthly income and ask yourself, would I give one-fourth of it on a regular basis to buy teaching materials or to buy any kind of materials to exercise my spiritual gifts? Kind of sobering, isn't it? In our entire Imagine If journey of spiritual discernment the last few months, we've been asking ourselves an important question about what it means to pray unselfishly, the prayer of indifference. And the prayer of indifference is pretty simple. It, it simply goes, God's will, nothing more, nothing else, nothing less. We don't pray for more than God's will. We don't pray for anything else besides God's will. We don't pray for anything less than God's will. Now, if that prayer of discernment works for a congregation to discover God's direction and leading, then doesn't it also work for us 
as we seek to discover our place in kingdom service. I want you to say that out loud with me, will you? God's will, nothing more, nothing else, nothing less. Say it again. God's will, nothing more, nothing else, nothing less.